0: This is Juror 13. You are Juror 13. Tonight you'll hear interviews, opinions, and reports. Then you will have an opportunity to decide. This is Malice, Money, Motorcycles, and Murder, the Randy Stevens case, Savannah, Georgia. Status, currently unsolved, 21 years. Juror 13 is brought to you in partnership with Crime Stoppers, Crime Stoppers is offering an $80,000 reward for tips leading to the successful capture and prosecution of the person or persons responsible for the murder of Randy Stevens. At the end of this program, learn how to contact Crime Stoppers anonymously to help solve this case.
1: The ideas, insights, and theories expressed in the following program are opinions and are not necessarily those of the producers. All persons are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law.
0: Welcome to Jura 13. I'm your host, Tom Milady. Last week on episode 6, we looked into the emotions and the mindset of the things that led up to and into Randy Stevens' memorial service. We heard in stark, blatant reality how Linda was outright accused of Randy's murder by his little sister, Sandra Stevens-Smalls. This happened during dramatic moments at the funeral home, as the family sought to agree upon the final arrangements. I tried to provide objectivity toward all the possible thoughts and the emotions that may have been occurring at that time. As you may recall, though those things were going on, and there were many differences in opinion about the crime itself, there was an unwavering and steadfast unity in the love that poured out from so many different people as they said their last goodbyes to the man that they loved and admired. This week, we come out from under the past, and we look to the men whose job it is now to close the case, the case that has haunted them for so long now. Join me as we head into what is and what will be from this point on for Randy's murderer or murderers, The Big Heat. If you can recall, back in Episode 5, I spoke at length about the fact that I was a bit out to sea with the findings and or the scope of the original investigation, the one that was run by since-retired Detective Armando Tamargo. Now, look, that's not to say that Detective Tamargo didn't have his methods. It's just that they are either unavailable to me at this point and or coupled with the fact that he was unable to or unwilling to speak to me at any length about where he was headed with those methods. I'm left guessing. Either way, though, it didn't work out for the Stevens crew, and the case is still open 21 years later. Now, that being said, on the upside, I've had the good fortune of being able to work a bit with Brittany Heron, who is the executive director over at Savannah Chatham Crime Stoppers. And Brittany has been instrumental in linking us to Crime Stoppers, and also in connecting me with Lieutenant Zach Burdett, who runs the cold case unit in Savannah. The Savannah Cold Case Squad. That's who has the heavy job of trying to connect the dots in this case and other cold cases that haunt the Savannah Police Department and most important, that haunt the daily lives of those family members and friends who have been left behind in the wake of these heinous crimes. Lieutenant Burdett gave me some brief insight into the history of the formation of the squad and how he came to be involved.
2: The cold case unit is, uh, with our department, is 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 a very interesting unit. Um, you know, it. it I, I I keep saying it hasn't been around very long, but it has. You know, like it. It started when I first got moved to homicide as an investigator in 2016. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and then I kind of, I guess, supervised it when I was a sergeant Homicide for a little while. And then when they moved me back to investigations in uh, July of last year, they said, Oh, the cold case unit sounds like a a great unit for you to run, too. Our our cold case, guys, this is one of the cases that I know uh, since I took over our cold case unit, um, a case that has always been in the forefront of theirs. Um, you know, so if anybody's got any information that uh, they can contact our cold case unit directly, um, you know, or they can contact Crime Stoppers, there, there still is a very uh, substantial rule through Crime Stoppers, um, uh, available for people. Uh, if you've got information about this, uh, that leads to an arrest in, in this case. So, uh, I mean, that's, that's the main thing is just if you got information, by all means, please contact us.
0: One of the simpler issues that was addressed by Lieutenant Burdett was the one that arose from the many conflicting ideas as to how many assailants there actually were. As we start to dissect the truth from the confusion, we remember that Linda maintained that she had stated from the get-go that there was only one. We heard from Bobby Stevens and others that they had heard her state that there were two. Here's Lieutenant Burdett again. She's concerned, um, basically, that she said in her original statement that there was only one assailant. Is there any way you can either just tell me if that's true or not true? I, I,
2: that, I, I believe in her original statement, she, she did say that. Yeah. Um, I, whether or not that is accurate in terms of the crime itself, I'm not sure because we've got conflicting statements on that.
0: So this is the kind of thing that is misunderstood. Uh, It gets misunderstood in a variety of ways from its origin through 21 years to now. You wouldn't believe the amount of things that I can't include in these broadcasts that were considered fact till I chased them back to their origin and then tried to connect the dots with how they got to the crazy rumors that they are now. I mean, there are people that were telling me that they knew all kinds of things, and then I found out they weren't even in the room at the time they said that they heard those things. So, I don't know if you follow what I'm saying, but it's a giant game of telephone. It's an old game where somebody gives a message, and they pass it to the next person, and then they pass it to the next person, and by the time it's to the end of the line, it's so convoluted that it barely contains a shred of the original statement. This is a perfect example right here of how those things happen. This is Linda Stevens' daughter, Brandy Trotter, explaining to me why she thought there were more than one assailant. She's not saying that there were more. She's simply stating to me that based on her stepfather's courage and physical strength, that it would have taken more than one person to get by Randy to get to her mother more than one yeah if it would have been only one it would have been
1: he would have had a better chance i mean i just don't feel like he'd have just feel like he got shot so many times because
2: he was fighting with him you oh know what I'm yeah so For you, sure, oh, you so
0: you do think you think it was more than one then i do okay
2: might have been only one that ran in the house or one that had a pistol but i just don't foresee one person thinking they'd be able to beat daddy up
0: If you listen to that, you'll hear that the actual intent, or what I hear the intent to be, is clearly that it's not what she heard her mother say. It's that she believed Randy was a tough, no-nonsense guy, and like I said, it would have taken more than one guy. It's easy to see where this stuff gets mistaken. But if that's the case, somewhere conflicting versions came up, and if they didn't come from Linda which we've determined already, where is it coming from? Who interviewed these people that were not even at the scene as to how many assailants there were? A lot of the finger-pointing and accusations that are headed toward Linda most likely would have been dispelled or abandoned quickly if the original investigation would have contained simple points that most detectives use in this sort of circumstance. I asked Lieutenant Burdett about how Linda could have been cleared so quickly, especially without giving her a same day interview, even a short one, and or gunshot residue tests or basic procedural things that you do to rule out a spouse. He gives former detective Tamarga the benefit of the doubt but I think his answer is clear.
2: Looking through everything, I cannot determine why one was not done, but, um, you know, I, I was not there. Right. Um, and I, I haven't read anything to suggest why it was or was not done. I, again, it's I, I, I don't know if that was a gut feeling that Tamargo had um, about it or if he had some type of intelligence to say, no she wasn't involved Um, but nothing that I have read has been documented to say why that was a belief
0: Now bearing this in mind I revisited one of Linda Stevens' original points. I talked to her on the phone just the other day and she had this question for me They feel like they, they take
3: these same concerns downtown 21 years ago and if they did What what was the response from the detectives? And if they waited 21 years to bring this up and they did not do that, have they taken these concerns to the cold case
0: detectives? I mean, you've got to admit she's got a point here. And she wasn't responsible for the detectives or how they cleared her. And secondly, she stayed involved with the case and supplied the cold case guys with the first lead she came across. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. Uh, I asked Randy's sister, Sandra, why hadn't you pursued your feelings about Linda with the cold case unit? This is what she said
4: I did not reach out to um, the cold case detective because I thought Tamarka was still there. Right. I felt like the police was covering up something because of everything that was going on. At that time, right, and especially when the um, internal affairs guy shot himself, right, I was like, you know, what hope do we have to get answers? And Tamargo betting his badge on it, right. Um, Lovett, who was the chief of police, in jail.
0: I also asked Bobby Stevens the same question, point blank. This is what he had to say.
5: It was just like shooting a dog or something man I, I went to the uh, homicide place so much
0: until I had to just take a break right you you were sticking with it
5: yeah because we from day one um we were concerned about okay Randy's worked for the city for 21 years they gotta wanna solve this right okay Nobody, you, uh, Bill Knight lit a little fire up under them, but Savannah was so corrupt with so much going on that Randy's death and murder was just like shit like you see on the news every day. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of happy that they're working with you to try to
0: help you. But uh, they, 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 nobody even cares, man. Right. Those are incredibly strong words. Shot dog. I hear what he's saying, though. Bobby's politely talking around what he believed to be a number of factors that contributed to the detective's nonchalance at the time of his brother's murder. Some of that I can tell you. There was a scandal involving then-chief of police, Willie Lovett, that landed him in jail. Um, there were some racial issues going on at the time as well. Now, Bobby didn't say that. I did. Um, I'm not sure if I can say they contributed, but you're going to have to make up your own minds about that one. So if you can picture a Savannah in 2002... It's quite a bit different then than it is now. And Bobby was saying that he didn't think he got a fair shake with what he was trying to tell Detective Tamargo. He thinks they discounted him. Uh, That may be true. Either way, now it's 18 years later, uh, there's a generous anonymous donor posting a $100,000 reward for Randy's case, and the new Cold Case Squad was formed. So... In the words of Linda Stevens, why wouldn't he have come forward now? If he had lost faith in the investigation then, why wouldn't he come forward now? Basically, what he told me was that he thought it was a moot point. He had a bad taste in his mouth from the initial investigation, and he didn't feel that he would be listened to. Regardless of the feelings that were left in the wake of the original investigation, let me explain this to you. The cold case unit now is a completely different crew. They have a different mentality and it's the same investigation. This time around, though, it's done by seasoned homicide investigators who listen, gather information, and act on it. So Lieutenant Burdett told me, he's like, have them call anybody with a tip, call Crime Stoppers, call the cold case unit directly. They are going to listen to you. You'll find the Cold Case Squad number on the website at juror13.live, and you'll find the Crime Stoppers information there as usual. One of the ideas I had as to why the direction of the original investigation back in 2002 went the way it did, I believe it's because Randy's friendship with certain folks that had a criminal past, people like Barry Green. Um, And despite the fact that Randy's relationships with these people were just personal or business, um, this may have interested Detective Tamargo enough that he saw no reason in performing some of the seemingly perfunctory things necessary to eradicate the family's doubt, things that would have cleared Linda. I asked Lieutenant Burdett about the factors that were involved. Barry Green's... um relationship to randy and the family might have caused a little bit of uh cast some suspicion on maybe some of the other players it
2: it is possible that you know randy randy had a lot going on in his personal life Mm -hmm. um you you know that that could have provided motive for a lot of different reasons for this to have
0: happened right you and Uh, i I spoke about that yeah (sighs) yeah
5: And
2: I, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that he he was involved in 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 any kind of bad stuff. I, I'm just saying, you know, there there were different people involved in his personal life that that could have had some type of motive for for wanting
0: to do this. Right. While we were on the subject of suspects and persons of interest, I asked Lieutenant Burdett if there was any indication that the investigation had looked at Derek Duncan. Um, I don't know if he's still a suspect or I think Tamargo eliminated him, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I, I do remember hearing that
2: name. Um, I, I don't remember if he, if his name was one of the ones in terms of being eliminated or not.
0: I have to address one of the major issues that's at hand here with Jura 13 looking into this case. This is the elephant in the room that's not the elephant in the room. It's the fact that we clearly now have Randy's brother and sister looking directly at Linda Stevens as the person that they theorize had something to do with this. And I say that, theorize, because surely they do not know. It's just their opinion. Linda, though, is the person that they believe police should be talking to. Conversely, Linda, now estranged from that family, cooperated in every way that the police asked her to in the original investigation and then subsequently went to the cold case unit with the first tip that came her way. Linda spoke to me last week and she was visibly and understandably upset. It takes a lot to relive what she witnessed and at the same time open yourself up to the public's opinion by broadcasting that information. She not only has to relive the whole thing at once, but now she endures the slings and arrows that come with it. And like I said, this time publicly. There were a few things that she wanted us to be clear on. The first of those was that we had overstated Carlos Wilkerson's role as Randy's business partner. Here's Linda. The description of Carlos Wilkerson as a business partner was perhaps an overstatement
4: Yes.
3: Um, Carlos rode the bike for my husband when he gained weight so he can get his weight back down. Randy can tune bikes. He's very good at it. He learned how to tune his bike. I was my husband's business partner. I'm the one that said, Randy, well, let's ask Carlos to ride. You know, he's lightweight. He's a good rider. I said, let's ask Carlos. And he asked him, and he rode the bike. Right. And when we won... He got some of the money. But Carlos never helped us repair the bike. He didn't buy any parts. He didn't bring any money to the
0: table. So he was paid specifically for riding the bike.
3: For riding only.
0: Now when you line all of these interviews up, no matter what the subject, one thing is certain. Everyone remembers all of these things completely differently. 21 years can change a lot. But how can it change someone saying they accused someone of murder and then someone saying that it just didn't happen? Frankly, there's nothing in it for anyone. There's nothing in it for either person, either way. So in the end, we have to choose who we want to believe. But you have to ask yourselves here, and again, I quote Marcus Aurelius, what is the nature of the thing? What can be gained by anyone or anybody to make the statements that they are making? You are juror 13. That part is up to you. For me though, it's gotta be proven. That's all that works here is real evidence. You can definitely look at the circumstantial elements here, but not the gossip, not the rumors, not the hearsay or allegations that are made without facts. With that in mind, let's move forward. Let's move into the here and the now, using evidence and tips that we can gather to move this investigation forward. Bearing this in mind, during the last interview with Lieutenant Burdett, I asked him if there were still suspects that they were looking at currently.
2: Talking to some of uh, the cold case guys that have been working on this off you know, and- Um, you know, they, um, they've given me several names of people who's, who's have come up throughout the invest, the original investigation and what they've been doing. Um, so I, I mean, I'm familiar with some of the names that have been brought up. Some of them have been eliminated, um, for, for, for valid reasons. You know, they, they were able to provide Mm -hmm. uh, documentation that they wouldn't have been there. Uh, some of the other guys names are still up in the air but they're you know we can't say yes or no to their possible involvement in it at this
0: point. right so as you can hear that while lieutenant burdett is giving me his response obviously he can't tell me exactly who these people are as it's an open investigation yet it's good to hear that they still have suspects or persons of interest on their radar I spoke to you earlier about how when Linda learned of a potential lead from daughter, Brandy Trotter, she had called the cold case unit with that information. Here's Brandy Trotter explaining how that came about.
1: Yes, sir. Um, I got a phone call from an old friend from the neighborhood that told me that he might have some knowledge of some people speaking on taking claims to to, to robbing my parents.
0: Were they talking about that were suspects?
1: A total of three. Okay
0: and they those three suspects were incarcerated at the time
1: yes sir two were still incarcerated when i got the knowledge and the other one had been transferred to another jail in georgia
0: right then linda stevens explained to me how she handled the information from there
1: his name was ollie but it had a girl's picture and i said well it's a girl picture but you're a guy he says i'm I'm a friend of your daughter Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, my daughter, my daughter's at Fort Campbell. And I said, well, I'll tell her to get in touch with you. I won't give you her number. I'll tell her to call you. Mm-hmm. And that night, my daughter said, Mom, that's the guy who used to try to talk to me before I joined the Army. He lives in that neighborhood. And I said, okay, I know who I'm talking to now. So I said, tell him to call me back. He called me, and he told me that when he was in prison, in jail, in Savannah, there was a guy in there talking about my husband's murder. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys was still here in savannah involved one was in atlanta one left town so i called detective um the guy on the cold case mm. and i told him and gave him the guy's name and number and he said he was going to get in touch with the guy he got in touch with the guy but he didn't tell me what they talked about when a hundred thousand dollars went on the news that's when that guy got in touch with me
0: after hearing this I turned, of course, to the cold case unit and asked if they had received those tips. Here's Lieutenant Zach Burdett. I spoke to the daughter, uh, Brandy Trotter, uh, who told me that she had supplied you with the name of a jailhouse guy named Ollie. Um, Is there anything you can comment on about that, or is that part of the ongoing
2: i that I know that's part of the ongoing uh and that's actually one of the things that I told them to or excuse me I told talk to our cold case guys about where they were um telling me about that guy telling me some of the information that he provided them uh in terms of names um you know and and that's No, those names are still saying people um, that they're looking into uh, in terms of their locations at the time that it happened and whether or not they were possibly involved. Okay.
0: So those guys are still suspects right now? Yes. Okay. And there you have it. That's how it's done. Active leads, suspects still waiting to be cleared. This is kind of what we've been waiting to hear. I'm still trying to get in touch with the owners of the alleged four-door Chevy, or box Chevy, that was reported leaving the scene, so there's that. And one other lead concerning some allegations of a missing phone related to the case that may have pertinent information stored within. It won't be true until it is, folks. Lastly, I found this troubling story about another murder that occurred within days of Randy Stevens. A guy named Brian Cribbs. Here's Linda Stevens. Did you know a guy named Brian Cribbs?
1: Yes, he dra- raced cars out at the drag strip in Savannah. Okay. Yeah, I heard his whole family got gunned down in their yard. Mm-hmm. Randy knew him. Randy knew Brian.
0: Mm-hmm. A lot has been said about survivors of victims seeking closure. Now, I know cops that say it's just not possible. And I know folks that hope for it strictly as remedy to their unbearable pain. I asked Linda, Sandra, and Bobby what their thoughts were about closure.
3: I will be very satisfied with that. And I will finally, after 21 years, be able to grieve properly. When my husband died, I couldn't grieve. I was on the defense mode for 21 years. And I thought I had bad thoughts a little bit. But now since the podcast has started back, they sling them mud again. You know, I, I don't make accusations about people unless I know it's true.
0: Right. And, you know,
3: like she said, that's all I, I was cleared. I never told her I was clear when she asked me. She said she asked me if I kill my husband. That didn't happen. But if they do solve this case, that'll take a relief off of my shoulders. I'll be able to breathe. I can finally grieve. I haven't had a chance to grieve.
5: No, because it's not going to bring him back. Right. Right. It's it's only going to give us, my sister, my parents are gone now. Um, it, it's only going to, it will fill a void, but it's not going to bring it back.
0: I understand that. I get what you're yeah, saying. I get yeah. what you're
5: saying. And, and, and honestly, it would probably be like that morning when I got the call that there was a robbery randy got shot four times it will all just come right back hit me like d said like a ton of bricks
4: i really believe it will be bittersweet because i it's not going to bring randy's back randy back but it will give our family justice of knowing that somebody has been charged for his murder um but still i have to deal with the fact that randy's gone and i will never be able to be with my brother again but i'll be grateful i'll be happy um that this has been resolved
0: If you've been following these episodes, you'll remember our old friend, Dr. Kenneth Pound. He's a licensed clinical psychologist and professor in psychiatry at Columbia University's College of Physicians and Surgeons in New York City. I asked him for his opinions surrounding the potential for any emotional relief or remedy that could occur alongside the notion of closure, an idea that seems so elusive. Here's Dr. Pound.
6: You know, closure is really not a psychological term. it's It's really a sort of pop psychology term. And so it means very different things to different people is, which is sort of I think what you're finding when you speak to different people about what they expect when there's a conviction. Um, one of the things that um, you know people tend to talk about closure in relation to loss and in relation to mourning very often it involves some kind of a a false idea about what's going to be curative. In a way, it's about, I think, people's fantasies of avoiding mourning or avoiding sort of the ambivalent feelings that are left over after a loss or a tragedy. And people feel that they need something. There is a place, I think, for ritual and rituals have a very important function of giving people a sense of having gone through something and things sort of being in their place. And it is a, it is a part of mourning, actually a part of grieving. And so I imagine that, you know, there is a kind of fantasy that, um, courtroom justice could, you know, sort of operate like, like a ritual, that there would be this kind of justice meted out, which would feel like it sort of solved the problem. And different people function differently. I mean, again, the idea of what closure would be is such an amorphous one. It feels different for different people. But there's always some fantasy of what's going to sort of free you up or free you from the affects that is left over, free you from the painful thing that you've gone through. And I think for some people justice does actually feel like that it does actually give a sort of bring a sort of equilibrium that 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 you know creates relief for others because it's so imbued with a fantasy uh, the fantasy that a mechanism could actually change your feelings there you know there's a disappointment because what's left over is. The person is still gone. The person's still injured. Um, there's still this crime that's been committed that can't be taken back. Yeah. And so it's really, there's really, it's it's very, very different for different people.
0: After hearing this, I think I understand. I've seen it in its plainest and most unavoidable moments. Death is still there. Loss is still there. We move closer to the truth of our sorrow, sometimes more than others. Do you believe that the conviction of your loved one's murderer would bring you some type of closure? You are Juror13. Tell us what you think and cast your vote on the website at juror13.live. That's juror13.live. For nearly nine months now, I've tried to immerse myself in this case. After listening to the pain, the anger, the frustration, and the resignation to loss, I see that there's also potential for this case to spin from one possibility and issue to the next without hesitation. Realistically, there's a finite and small amount of real evidence to work with. And there are only a couple more missing pieces yet to obtain. But even then, will it end there? I got to thinking about what Dr. Pound had said about closure. And then I listened again to what Linda and Bobby and Sandra had said about it. They all basically acknowledged what I had heard Dr. Pound say. It's about taking steps toward confronting the inevitable. Each one of them has had 21 years plus to look inward. Though they are looking for justice, both Bobby and Sandra seem to realize that there is going to be no closure for them. Their brother is gone, forever. And Linda, she wants just a minute to breathe without having to defend herself. She wants people to realize that she is not the killer, and in her own words, finally have some space to grieve. It's nearly impossible for me to maintain a professional separation from everyone in this case, and still get the true emotional value to come to light. I finished some interviews with a tense jaw and others with a lump in my throat. Sometimes I see the picture of the younger, wide-eyed Randy Stevens and I just have to shake my head. And I say, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I am not apologetic. I'm just plain sorry about the ugliness of the whole situation. Originally, We signed on to do seven episodes, which would mean that this would conclude the case. But I cannot, in good conscience, separate myself professionally this time. Therefore, we will continue in two weeks with new interviews, cold case conversations, and the professional assessment of the ME's reports on this, the Randy Stevens case, juror 13. Jura13 would like to take this time to thank all of our generous supporters. We want to continue this mission, but we rely solely on your kind donations as we don't use advertisers. In order to keep it going, we need to keep asking you for your contribution. If you're able to contribute, we are grateful, and if you can't, we still are. Please, either way, subscribe and listen. It's free. You can now hear all episodes plus c photos at juror13.live or you can listen on all major streaming platforms that's juror13.live i know i talked to you all about crime stoppers last week and the value that this tremendous anonymous program holds the randy stevens case has a reward for $80,000 And I've stated that before. Everybody knows that now. There's $80,000 out there if you can help solve the case. I know that you are out there. I know that you are. I know that you're listening and I know that you know something about this case. So take a good long look in the mirror and understand that there's a big difference between doing the right thing and snitching. So choose to do the right thing. The Stevens family needs your help. Click on Crime Stoppers logo or press play on the Crime Stoppers Executive Director Brittany Herron's explanation of how to go about helping and collecting your reward. Juror13.live. When the episode is over, the facts remain. Juror13.live. Photos, facts, and faces. See the people and the events that we talk about in every episode. Read opinions, reports, and theories. Vote. On Jura13.live. You are Jura13. Interact with special guests on announced dates and post your opinions and surveys about certain people, places, and things associated with Jura13. Download episodes. Join our first alerts list. Help us to help the Stevens family, folks. Remember, you can listen to new episodes of Jura13 weekly on Spotify. Or you can just listen to any past episode or update at any time you desire on juror13.live. Juror13 relies on your support. If you'd like to help us continue our mission to help the Stevens family, we gratefully accept any donation or contribution. Simply go to the website juror13.live and click on the links. Juror 13 would like to thank Maya Eshet, Linda Stevens, Sandra Stevens Smalls, Bobby Stevens, Brandy Trotter, Dr. Kenneth Pound, Lieutenant Zach Burdett, Perubu for our theme music, Gloria Graham, and my producer, the urbane and sophisticated Martine Rothstein. As always, I'm Tom Milady, but you. You are Jura 13. Jura 13 is an Empty nest Productions LLC Entertainment.